apologize for absolutely nothing. Like, people do not understand how much this rivalry means. I'm talking complete devastation in Ann Arbor. And the Buckeyes are in the CFP. You can't say <laughs> hung that sausage on the air. What's up, Buckeye Nation? And welcome back to <laughs> Dotting the Eye with Davis and Jack. I'm usually the positive person, but that was hot garbage. Oh, my God. I'm probably going to lose my freaking job. Dude, are you serious? That's literally the dumbest thing I've ever heard you say. I'm sorry, dude. This is not Michigan State. This is Ohio State. We either win or die trying. Go Bucks. OH. What's up, Buckeye Nation? And welcome back to Dotting the Eye with Davidson Chad. Um, we have a great episode today. Uh, we are going to continue on with our bracket uh, that we've been doing here recently. Today, we are going to dive into the tight ends. Uh, which proved to be a little bit interesting, really, when you when you look at everything. So I'm kind of looking forward to getting into that and hearing uh, Davis's opinion. I mean, it will be wrong, but I still enjoy to hear it. Um, and also, man, we've got to talk about this, uh, I guess, what I call like the bank account that we just opened up with the Big Ten, the Flex Protect Plus. Um, it really does sound like some kind of retirement plan or something like that. But uh, the new schedule going forward on how that's all going to shake out. Um, that's going to definitely spark some interesting controversy, but um, I'm excited. What do you say, Mr. Davis? Yeah, we're finally getting some information in, which is making next year when UCLA and USC join the Big Ten feel a lot more real now, you know? Um, I think some very important parts that we need to identify first before we really get into the nuts and bolts of how this is going to work is, number one, is they're getting rid of divisions. And the overwhelming thing that is going to happen by getting rid of divisions is two things. Number one, you are now going to get a Big Ten championship game that is going to be the two best teams out of the entire conference, which has never been the case before. Uh, usually the East has dominated that. As a matter of fact, ever since that was uh, the Big Ten champion championship game was enacted, it's always been the East that's won it. But you are now bringing in for the first time the potential for an Ohio State-Michigan game in back-to-back weeks. So some people like that idea. I think probably more people are not ecstatic about that idea. Um, What are your first initial feelings just by hearing about um, getting rid of brackets and kind of going to the Big 12 model of best two teams out of the entire conference going on? Well, they had to do something. We knew that, right, going into this. We knew something had to be done. Uh, It wasn't going to work the way that it had. And, yes, I agree that, um, unfortunately, the way they drew the bracket up uh, geographically, for the most part, um, ended up where your winner of the Big Ten was coming out of the East more times than not. I I do agree with all of that, and I see that. I am not, however, and I know you already know this right now. There won't be any eye roll from you. You knew I was going to say it before we even freaking got on this podcast. I am not a favor of playing. I'm not in favor of playing Michigan in back-to-back weeks. Um, it takes away from the game for me. It makes me feel like the Big Ten uh, doesn't feel the same way about it that the rest of the world probably feels about it as well. Um, in instilling something that could actually have that happen, um, so it kind of makes me feel like they kind of shit on the rivalry a little bit themselves uh, with that. Um, but you know, I, I understand. I, I do like the fact that we are going to find out who the best team of the Big Ten is every year. Um, I just don't like to play Michigan twice, man. How do you feel about it? This was always going to be an unavoidable consequence by doing this, just because of the simple fact that Ohio State and Michigan are in the same conference and we're in the same division. Um, Had they been in different divisions, this would have been a possibility moving forward, and there would have been a guaranteed crossover game they had to play every year. That was potential. Um, but this is always going to be an, an unavoidable consequence because if Ohio State and Michigan uh, are undefeated at the end of the year, or one loss each, and one beats the other one, I mean, usually the one left out is still probably deserving of being the second best team in the Big Ten in any other given year. I mean, it's been that way the past two years. So you mean it was unavoidable as long as they got rid of division? Eventually, you're going to have to get rid of the divisions just because by looking at it, it was almost unfair for Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State to have to play in the same division because we got screwed on in 2015 when we lost the tiebreaker to Michigan State. But we were clearly one of the two best teams in the Big Ten that year and didn't go to the Big Ten championship game. And it's not every single year this will happen, 
especially once you have USC and UCLA in the mix, most notably probably USC with Penn State kind of on the rise, Wisconsin, um, and now with Luke Fickle, Nebraska is upping their game. Uh, I mean, the Big Ten is going to be a stout conference. So sitting here saying that Ohio State-Michigan is going to play you know, in back-to-back games every single year is not fact. It's not going to happen. At some point, Michigan or, uh, or Ohio State is going to stub their toe somewhere and lose a tiebreaker for the second spot after losing the rivalry game and not get in there. But it is definitely going to happen. I wouldn't say more times than not, but I'd say maybe 50% of the time you might see a case like that happen. I agree that it will take, especially if you know going into that game, that whoever doesn't win that game is automatically, like those two teams are going to be doing it again the next week. That does take away from the rivalry. That's going to be the situation where it takes away from that game, in my opinion, the one that's on campus, right? Yeah, like I thought, like, what if you, like, just say Ohio State's undefeated coming into the Michigan game, and maybe Michigan is still, uh, just say we beat up on each other this year, right? And they have two losses already, but they're still they're still in second place in the conference. If they beat us, I mean, what's the point of even watching that game then? We just play them the next week. Who cares? You'll see them in the Big Ten championship game again. You know what I mean? Like, I I just don't like that that can be the narrative. I, I'm not saying it will be. I'm saying I don't like that it can be. It, it It's just unfortunately how it is. I mean, NFL, or the NFL has kind of had some effect on, you know, the players getting paid, which caught, you know, started with the NIL stuff. And, and, you know, we're just looking at a different day and age in football that is not something that we really recognize as much as we used to anymore. Um, I agree with you, and I do not like the fact that there's going to be a lot of years where we go into that game and maybe already know that both teams are already going to get to the Big Ten Championship game regardless. And that game won't mean anything. Uh, It will always mean something, don't get me wrong, but it's going to take a lot more away. There's a lot more finality to it when you knew if you didn't win that game, you were not going to the Big Ten Championship game and taking a real big hit at probably not making a playoff. See, to well, me, now, though, it kind of screws both schools because I think you know as well as I do. You know, in any sport, it doesn't matter. You're talking football, you're talking baseball, it doesn't matter. Okay? It's really hard to beat the same team twice in a row. Well, it's hard to do that. And when you're talking about especially this game, and we don't play anybody in between. Like, it's 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 a very unique situation for Ohio State and Michigan only because of the way it's set up and where and, and our rivalry and how that works out to be the last game of the season pretty much. that It's going to... It's going to work out to where I think that screws both schools. Like you're coming into this game, dude, and you have to beat a team. You have to beat your rival twice in a row to continue on. That's hard, man. It It is hard. Now, I understand what you're saying, but if it, the other part of this also that you have to take into account is the fact that with this new schedule next year, you're also in a 12-team playoff. So the Big Ten championship game is also going to be a little less meaningful because most likely both teams that are in the Big Ten championship game are both going to go to the 12-team playoff. Obviously, the winner will get to go in with an automatic seed, and the loser is probably going to be one of your at-large. I'd say 95% of the time, unless you have a crazy year where you have multiple teams with two losses and then their loss there might be a third loss. But still, even with three losses – and with the you know the championship game being your third loss, you can't penalize them and take a two-loss team that didn't get to their championship game over a three-loss team that did get to it. That's well, obviously playing this, a better opponent. So the well, the point I'm trying to make is that I agree with you in the fact that these games are are not going to be feel the same as they used to because of the of the finality of it of win or go home. But they're still going to be important for seeding purposes moving forward. Well, let's talk about the other part of it, though, before we get into the whole encompassing, because we're only talking about the one half end of it. Let's talk about the protected games. Yeah, so, okay, so for those of you that do not know anything about this, and I'm literally just going to read this verbatim from what the Big Ten put out, is that in 2024 and 2025, there's going to be a new Flex Protect Plus scheduling model where schools will have two play opponents which means that they will play both home and away in 2024 and 2025 against those teams. That means back-to-back years, a home and away, and also have 
all schools except for one in here will have at least one protected opponent, meaning that every single year, even past 2025, they're guaranteed to play that team rotating home and away. So I'm not going to go through every single team's list, but I'm going to bring out a couple specific teams, and then we can kind of discuss that. So we'll start with Ohio State. And for 2024 and 2025, Ohio State has two teams that are two-play opponents. That means they are guaranteed to play them both years, one home, one away, and it's Illinois and Northwestern. (laughs) That's kind of odd. You know, I would have already expected one of those to possibly be Michigan State or Penn State, right? Yeah. And we have one protected opponent, and obviously you can guess which one that is. That's Michigan. Okay? So just early off of seeing that, that means that unless we have a rotation where we were to play Michigan State or Penn State, then we'll go a year or maybe two years without playing either one of them. And Penn State has really kind of felt more like a rivalry game in a way, even though we've dominated that, but they've played us tougher than almost every other team. That feels like a game that, I mean, maybe selfishly, it'd be okay to not have to have every time. But really, if you're a competitor and you enjoy good football, you want Ohio State playing that matchup. That that was my thing. Everybody online is going, uh, going apeshit about the fact that, uh, you know, Gene Smith flat out said, we don't feel like, uh, Penn State's a rivalry game. We feel like that's just because both teams have been good, you know, over history. That's a competitive rivalry, not not an actual rivalry, um, which I understand. But, you know, rivalries are born through competition. I'm sorry. Um, Ohio State has a way deeper, you know, rivalry versus Michigan that stems back way before, um, you know, I'm not going to get into that history. 100, over a hundred years. Yeah. But my point is, you know, rivalries are born through people competing against each other more times than not. You know what I mean? There's a reason the Red Sox hate the Yankees. There's a reason, you know what I mean? There's just, there's a reason for these things. And I just feel like, yes, I do not feel like Ohio State, uh, Penn State is a significant rivalry. I do not feel like that. But I do feel like that's a significant game for the Big Ten every year. And to be honest, as an Ohio State fan, I feel that way too. I love, as much as I hate it, because I feel like it's, it's a very vulnerable spot for us to be in, Dude, tell me you don't love to watch the whiteout at night when we're playing. I get I get amped for Penn State games. I wouldn't say as much as the Michigan game, but it's definitely the second most amped in a Big Ten game that I get all year long. And if we find years that we're not going to play them, then I'm looking for where's that other big match. Now, obviously, that could be filled in with USC, UCLA, Wisconsin on the rise um, with rotating those around more. Yes, but... I feel like this was also Big Ten protecting itself a little bit and knowing that Penn State's on the rise and it might be their best interest to adjust schedules this way to have our best chance to get three Big Ten teams or more into a 12-team playoff. I mean, I get it, but look at the look at the crap the crap games they did protect. Some teams have three three protected games, and I'm like, these games suck. Yeah. Like, yeah, what are we talking I'm, about here? Yeah, so uh, what you're talking about, uh, so every team has at least one protected game, with the exception of Penn State, which is really weird. Penn State does not have a protected game as of right now, which means they do not have a definitive opponent they will play every year. Now, that does give them more flexibility to rotate around more, which means they should be playing every team at least twice in a four-year span, is what I read that that explained. But that doesn't give Penn State any single uh, rivalry game that happens every single year, which is weird. Before you go on, let me ask you this, because this is the question I've been wanting to ask you since we were going to have this conversation. I think I don't think that that's fair. And here's the reason why. You're telling me that every single year Ohio State has to play Michigan, right? But every year we don't have to play Penn State. We might, might, might or might not play USC or UCLA or whoever else they throw in the mix. But there could be years where Penn State doesn't have to play either one of us. Absolutely. And, that's and there could be, be years an, we have to play both. But you, you got to think, too, uh, assuming some of the other teams are going to upgrade in the Big Ten, like Wisconsin and Nebraska, uh, Iowa, I don't know. Uh, but you're bringing in USC, especially in UCLA. There's no way you're avoiding all of those teams in the same year. Um, I think it's also a way for them to look at the schedule and be like, okay, 
even though the competition's improving, we also don't want to get to a point where one team has to go Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, USC, all in the same year. You know I what I mean? I still think Penn State should have a protected game against a top conference opponent, period. I it agree. Ohio State and Michigan or USC. Lock it in. Make them, hey, you. since Ohio State's playing Michigan, Michigan's playing Ohio State every year, guess what? Penn State, you don't have a rivalry. You're playing USC every year. Right. Well, at least Something. Penn State does have as one of their two play opponents USC. So Penn State is forced to play USC in the next two years, in 2024 and 2025. So at least they put them in that two year there. But after that two years, USC will rotate out and someone else will probably rotate in. So if you want to actually look at the 2024 actual schedule, they don't have the dates and the times yet, but you know who they're playing and where already. We just don't know the order. Um, Penn State. Uh, is playing at Indiana, at Purdue, at Rutgers, at Wisconsin. Okay, so they got one tough game there on the road, realistically. Possibly Purdue can sometimes be tough on the road, but really it's at Wisconsin. They're at home against Michigan State, Nebraska, Northwestern, Ohio State, and USC. So even without anything protected, they I wouldn't say that's an easy schedule. The at Wisconsin's tough, and then Michigan State, I wouldn't even call that one tough, but home against Ohio State and home against USC. So they have to play Ohio State and USC in the same year. Yeah. So that's that's not cake. I mean, that's pretty tough. Well, I you don't know. think it's going to be a cakewalk, and I think the Big Ten is on a rise. Uh, I 100% agree with that. And, you know, we could be looking at, you know, um, the rise of a couple of different schools. And and with US, USC and UCLA coming in the door um, as well, there's, there's a lot of potential there. But my point is I just don't want to see – I think Penn State should have a, a forced protected game if they don't have anything. I, I just don't think it's fair to protect some of the horse games that you did um, every year, which is a, an advantage for those schools, to be honest, because that's less games that they can schedule Ohio State, USC, and Michigan, um, and then protect nobody for Penn State and giving them pretty much the wild, wild west to do whatever they want to do. And you're right. Uh, most of the years, it's not going to matter. They're going to end up with a, with a difficult schedule because of the way things fall. But there's going to be that anomaly year. And you're talking about a rotation, and I feel like that—that's not fair to everybody. Somebody, everybody should have somebody locked in. I, I feel that way. Yeah, and it, there's more flexibility to play these teams more often too, because we are doing a nine-game conference schedule, unlike the SEC that voted that down, and they're playing an eight-team while adding two teams. So you should be getting better schedules in the Big Ten because they have that extra conference game where we can rotate that around to hit that extra team. Uh, it's going to be the SEC is the ones that you're going to be watching, and they're going to pop up with you know a schedule like Georgia's this year, where Georgia their toughest game is what at home against or on the road against Tennessee, and Tennessee is just going to be decent this year. You're not going to see that kind of schedule happen in the Big Ten, even with some of these issues we see with the protected game, just because that extra conference game is going to allow for that rotation. Um, only other one I want to talk about that I thought was a joke about these protected opponents is Iowa has three protected opponents. The only team that has three. Most teams have one. A couple teams have two. But Iowa has three protected games. That means every year they're going to play these ones. And they're playing Minnesota, Nebraska, and Wisconsin. I mean, it's almost no different than when they were in the West Division. I don't understand the point of that. And none of those, I'm, I'm not going to say those are lower tier ones. Nebraska maybe hasn't been as good lately, but they're on the rise. But Minnesota's a decent team. Nebraska will be a decent team. And Wisconsin's probably going to be a pretty good team. So that's not a great draw. But that also, again, like we mentioned, limits the rotation and the ability that Iowa can play, you know, Ohio State and Michigan uh, and Penn State and USC and UCLA. Like none exactly. of those none of those top teams are an in, are a guaranteed game for them. So at best, they might see them two times every four years. So exactly. And you it's know what? Just, it makes no sense. And I get it right now in the current and the problem is that everybody's thinking about this in the current landscape of football. You're thinking, oh, well, shit, they got to play USC, they, you know, whatever. But the point is, dude, we don't know what the future holds. So when you look at Iowa as a football team right now, you're thinking, who cares? It's Iowa, right? But, dude, college football goes through changes just like we know, man. There's been many rises and falls of programs over the years. And who's to say in 25 years, man, Iowa's not a hot team. I was not like a Texas was or like a Nebraska was back in the day. They don't end up being that team. And when that happens, dude, they're going to have a distinct advantage. And that's what I'm saying. I don't believe 
they made this for the future of college football. I believe they kind of made it around what it is right now. And that's that's the part that kind of just a little bit irritates me. I'm not saying that I could figure out some better way to do it, but I almost feel like, you know, once again, it's not evened out. I don't feel like it's evened out. Well, it's going to be hard when you have a conference that now has, what, 16 teams in it, you know, and you're playing nine conference games. So you're leaving out a handful of opponents. There has to be some sort of rotation. Don't you think it, it should be divisions? No, nah, I, I, I do kind of like that. I'm, I'm excited to try it without divisions because I like the fact that, you know, it's not going to just be stacked on one side because the geographical way, I mean, I guess if you went to divisions, what would make sense is you would keep the divisions as they are now, but you would go ahead and give us probably the weaker West team, maybe Northwestern. Cause that's geographically somewhat close. Was that Chicago? Yeah. Um, or possibly Illinois, but probably Chicago or I mean, Northwestern and put them on the East and then just simply add USC and UCLA to the West that immediately beefs up the West that immediately guarantees no Ohio state, Michigan rematch. Um, it makes that game still mean something worth something. And you would, you can maybe have some sort of model to where you're not guaranteed, guaranteed to play every East team. Maybe there's one team that you only rotate every other year or every two years, but allows for you to play more crossover games, but you still protect, you know, most of your division. Like for example, Ohio state would be guaranteed to play Michigan state, Michigan, Penn state, um, and maybe Indiana every year, but maybe they would rotate out Rutgers, you know, two out of every four years to bring in an extra, you know, West division conference, uh, opponent to rotate in two out of every four years. I yeah. in my eyes, I feel like that would be a better setup but I just I just think this is more new agey stuff that most of these conferences are going to get away from divisions. I mean, I don't think the SEC's come out and announced it yet, but I would anticipate they're probably going to do the same thing. So what you're saying is you don't think it's the most ideal situation. You don't think it's the best situation. You just think it's going to be more fun to watch. Personally, yes. Um, I don't really know how this is really going to play out until we see it in action for a couple of years to really get a gauge on how it is. But just initially, I mean, it, it's just something different than what we're used to. You know, it's not something that, I mean, first of all, there weren't divisions in the big 10, what back 20 years ago, was there? I mean, it yeah, started out with the legend. Teams. Well, there's, there was what 14. It's got to the point. I thought the easiest thing to do would be, you have two new opponents. So you redraw the lines. Yeah, and that's we what I said. All? Essentially, is you move one team from the West that's kind of close geographically, like I said, Northwestern, and add US, USC and UCLA. So ideally, I kind of like that idea too. And then maybe just adjust how you rotate between cross conferences so that way Ohio State would at least two out of every four years have to do a home and away with USC. Yeah. And then, and because uh, I, I think that's kind of going to be similar to what we're going to see with some of these rotations. But the problem is like we had mentioned, is you're going to potentially have that back-to-back weeks of Ohio State-Michigan game. Well, and also, you know what else nobody's brought up? How are the tiebreakers going to work then? Well, they have not released that yet because I tried to find information, and that is still set to be determined because you do have potential with a schedule like this that you could have four or five teams with only one or two loss. And then how do you decide? Like, well, let's say Ohio State beats Michigan, but Michigan beats Penn State, and then Penn State beats Ohio State. And all three of those teams have one loss. And then say USC is undefeated on the other side or undefeated, whatever, right? Yeah. When you but take USC's in, but who do you take? Penn State, Michigan? Exactly. I mean, and that's what I'm saying. What we've now done is introduced, we've introduced the human element to conference play, just like we did for the. Well, I'm not going to the sit CFPs. there and say that they're going to vote in who needs to go, that there's going to be a panel that votes. It may there's be, gonna, okay, the first tiebreaker is. What is the point differential? Maybe the next one is what is your actual overall ranking um, in the AP or in the CFP ranking or who knows? I would like to think they're going to try to do it as unbiasedly as possible, but you're right. You're going to, you are going to run into some tie breaking issues. I mean, we, we got burned on the tie breaking issue back in 2015. If you remember. Yeah. I mean, Michigan state beats Michigan. 
and Michigan State beats us, but we beat uh, Michigan, and Michigan State loses someone else. But, you know, we both had one loss, but they beat us. So we lost out See, on the tiebreaker there. And that's what I'm thinking is going to happen. And that's what, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is about as clear as mud to me, like the whole thing. I get it. They want to try something new. It's hip. It's whatever. They're taking away the divisions. They want to get the, they want to get the two best teams from the Big Ten into the playoffs. I get that. And maybe even more than that, if they could. Um, but my, you know, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the greatest idea in the world. And I think maybe, you know what I mean? I don't know. I guess I'll have to see what the tiebreakers end up being before I say. I'm just saying this could end up being great or it could end up being a shit show. I mean, it really could. Yeah, I agree, man. Um, I just, I, I'll be excited to just kind of see how it plays out. Um, I will be anxious to see how they do the tiebreaker stuff and if that potentially will come into play. Um, but, you know, this is just kind of initial reaction to this stuff coming out. And there's po- there's positives and negatives to everything. Um, I do like the fact that, you know, it doesn't feel like you have to just run through the East gauntlet every time. And then it's like a pseudo. You automatically won the Big Ten title once you've won the East. You know, I am excited for these new matchups with USC and UCLA, which unfortunately the last thing I'll mention is we don't get to play USC next year. I was really thinking in the very first year with them coming over, they would put us against USC, but no, we go to UCLA and then we get USC at home in 2025. And then in 2025 is the first year. And since Penn state's been in the big 10 that we don't play Penn state. So it's just going to be an interesting uh, dynamic that we're not used to. So I'm I'm yeah. looking forward to it, but at the same time, you know, I'm going to hold some reservation and kind of see how it really plays out. Yep. All right, man. I think we need to move on to our, let's get inside these tight ends. See what I did there. Oh my um, God. You, no, <laughs> say it again. I'm not, mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> not doing that. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> so here's our uh, tight end bracket <laughs> yeah. for those of you that uh, might just be listening for the first time um, this off season, we've kind of done these fun little uh, 16 seated brackets. Uh, we start out with the quarterbacks and that got a lot of good reviews. So we decided to keep it going. We did the running backs. Um, and then last week uh, or however long it's been since our last episode, we did the wide receiver bracket. Man, that one was so much work, but it was a blast to do. We couldn't even do 16, yeah. so we did 32. So if you haven't listened, go back and listen to our previous episode where we rank and kind of do a whole bracket-style breakdown on our top 32. Yeah, but now we're going to get into do, some tight ends. Yes. That's what I what, said. What he said. So <laughs> this is probably the first one, to be honest with you, that I'd say our overall knowledge isn't up to par with what our other ones are, but I think that's probably pretty consistent with a lot of the fan base just because the way the Titans have been utilized in Ohio state history is, uh, and maybe a little bit, not as recent, but you know, it's not been traditionally the most glorified position, you know? And and that's the point that I want to get out. When, when you think about our seating and when you think about our bracket, I want you to keep in mind the eras of Ohio state football that we've been uh, privy to in the last, you know, 40 years, pretty much, um, you know, the different coaching styles and offensive changes that have happened throughout the years, you know, some more tight end heavy than others. So, you know, keep that in mind when you're thinking about this. Right. So, uh, again, take some of these rankings with a grain of salt, but hopefully we're sparking enough debate. And ultimately we will try to come out with what we believe would be our number one tight end. And again, this is not in the entire history of Ohio State. This is reasonably within our own lifetime, so probably by, you know, early to mid-80s and on. Um, and usually it's almost kind of by, like, the late 80s on is kind of what we focused on. So if we've left someone out that played in the 60s and 70s, you be like, hey, man, you forgot about that guy. He's an All-American. I'm like, okay. You know, we I did do some research, but, you know, we kind of did our cutoff over about the last 35 to 40 years. So, with that being said, here is our list of 16 tight ends ranked from 1 to 16. Number 1, we have Jake Stoneburner. Number 2, Jeremy Ruckert. Number 3, Ricky Dudley. Number 4, John Lumpkin. Number 5, Jeff Hireman. Number 6, Cade Stover. Number 7, Nick Vanette. Number 8, Ben Hartsock. Number 9, Marcus Ball. Number 10, Jeff Ellis. Number 11, Darnell Sanders. 
Number 12, Ryan Hamby. Number 13, Luke Farrell. Number 14, Rory Nickel. Number 15, Cedric Saunders. And number 16, Jake Ballard. And I agree definitely on some of these. If I had to probably re-rank them, I probably would after uh, after I ranked them a little bit. And I was like, eh, I don't know if that person should have been that low. But, you know, at this point, we're just going to spark some debate and kind of see where it goes. So, Chad, how you feeling about getting into these tight ends, as you call it? Hold on a second, dude. Don't say it pervertedly, all right? I was making... I said it the exact same way that you said it to me. <laughs> uh, to be honest, yeah. Um, when I looked at this list and in a moment of clarity here, um, there was a few things apparent to me. Number one was that I knew in my head about who my top five would probably be. And number two would be that there's a lot of tight ends I didn't know about. Um, I had to do a little bit of reading on them. You know what I mean? Um, and that, like I said, that's attributed to, that's why I gave you kind of the disclaimer before we started, because I feel like that's going to be half a Buckeye nation, really. Yeah. So uh, we're not going to do this, uh, with, with all these other groups nearly as much, but when I announce these matchups too, I'll at least let you know, kind of the years they played, give you some basic stats, like how many receptions, yards, you know, yards per reception and total touchdowns to kind of give, maybe give you a gauge of, Maybe some of their accolades, but you know, some of their accolades too is just eye test. If you really remember some of these and how they played uh, and how important they were to maybe the success of that team, that might also come into play. So, are you ready? Yeah, man, I'm waiting on you. <laughs> okay. Because I have the paper <laughs> in front of me. That's why. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was gonna say, you, you're the Oz. All right. So, let's so. get to our first matchup. It is Jake Stoneburner. Against Jake Ballard, Jake Stoneburner being our one seed, Jake Ballard being the 16. So Jake um, Stoneburner, I don't even know why I'm saying that. Yeah, Jake Stoneburner. Okay, he played from 2009 to 2012. Uh, so that's kind of when Urban kind of got his start, and it was kind of like the end of the Trestle era. Um, he had 53 receptions for 714 yards, about 13 ha- 13 and a half yards per average, with 13 touchdowns. And he is going against uh, Jake Ballard. He played kind of at the end of Trestle's years. And he had 34 receptions for 377 yards with about 11.1 yards per catch and three touchdowns. So for me, this one is obviously not much of a debate because we, you know, and I think our one and two could have been flip-flopped either way personally. But uh, I I like Jake Stoneburner in this matchup. Uh, give Give me one of the Jakes. Okay, well, which <laughs> which one do you want? Yeah, uh, give me Stoneburner. Yeah, okay. I have to echo pretty much what you said. Even though, um, you know, I, I will say Jake Ballard, dude. You know, a little bit of shout out to you, man. Super Bowl champion. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, so he's one that definitely had a a decent NFL career. And like I said, some of these stats can be misleading just because you got to think. The, the coaching staff that they played under, um, what the offensive philosophy was, because there's many different ways that tight end, tight end can be utilized. And it's not really until, you know, over the past handful of years that I guess the philosophy of how you use a tight end has kind of changed. You know, most of the time it was used for um, run blocking, uh, some extra run uh, pass protect, and occasional safety net for dumping something off if a play blew up. Instead, they're being more utilized as part of the actual offense, as seen by one that we're going to talk about later in Cade Stover on how much he was utilized this past year actually in the offense. So our next matchup is our number eight seed, Ben Hartsock, against number nine, Marcus Ball. Ben Hartsock played in the early Trestle years, uh, 2000 to 2003. He has 57 receptions for 515 yards about nine yards per average on reception and five touchdowns. And Marcus Ball would be in the um, Urban Meyer years and most notably under JT Barrett with 55 receptions, 607 yards, 11 yards per average on catch and eight touchdowns. I want to hear you go first here. So I'm kind of torn here because my first initial instinct is Ben Hartsock. I mean, he was on that big 2002 national championship team. One of my favorite teams of all time. Um, His stats may not be the same as what Marcus Balls are, but he is still one of the players that, to me, was always a special player that I remember earlier on in my Ohio State fandom. Now, Marcus Ball, the reason why it's becoming more of a difficult decision 
is you have to take into account that he did live his career during the JT Barrett era. And for him to have the stats that he did with eight TDs and over 600 yards, you know, reception and 55 receptions in a, in the years where JT Barrett was more predominantly a runner and under urban Meyer in, in his offense, that was not really suited for tight ends. That's impressive. I mean, that might be some of the quietest tight end stats that I went over, uh, over this entire thing. So yeah. I'm really torn on this one. My instinct is still telling me to go Ben Hartsock, but I'll be honest. I think just for this one, I'm going to have to flip just because I got to give this guy that much credit for doing this under JT Barrett. So I'm going to go Marcus Ball. Ooh. I mean, you make an interesting point. I think, man, I might have to agree with you, dude. About, I think I might have about, to agree with about you. About being torn? <laughs> I don't know how torn you are or aren't. You know what I mean? I haven't been <laughs> just torn about tight ends in a long time. <laughs> um, but I'm thinking, yeah, I think I might have to agree with you, man. Yeah, and it's no knock on Ben Hartsock. Actually, I enjoy listen, listening to him on the radio to this day. Um, he's a really well-spoken person. He uh, He's, again, part of one of my favorite teams of all time. It's no knock on him, but I just I'm that impressed after I saw those stats um, with what he did during that era. So, all right, I'd looks like you, a, you've, we got uh, our we got our first upset there. Not a big upset, me. but yeah, I swung you on tight ends. Yeah, <laughs> dude, we're in trouble. We're, in trouble we're not going to be able to release this episode, no, dude. Well, what are we supposed to do, man? We're talking about tight ends. I already set it off with the joke, and then you talk about being torn like eight times. What am I supposed to do with that? You can't just tee that up like that. You just you go you go about your business and just act like nothing happened. All right. Uh let's get into our number four against our 13. See, that's John Lumpkin against Luke Farrell. John Lumpkin, he played from 95 to 98. So he was in the Cooper years. Um he has 46 receptions for 757 yards. Leading all these with the most yards per average with 16 and a half yards per catch and 10 touchdowns. Wow. We look at Luke Farrell. Uh, he played from 2017 to 2020. So again, at the end of Urban's year into Ryan Day, he had 34 receptions for 380 yards, 11.2 yards average per catch and four touchdowns. So what is your early feelings on this? Because I'll be honest, I do not remember John Lumpkin much. I do somewhat recall a little bit. But again, I, those are some impressive stats. Um, they are. Um, Lumpkin um, actually was a great tight end and a multi-sport athlete. A lot of people don't remember that. But uh, he he falls in with the uh, the Ricky Dudley and that, you know, he did play basketball at Ohio State as well. Um, so so that's you know, he's got that going for him. I always respect anybody that has enough because dude those days are gone. You know what I mean? The way sports are today, like it's really right. hard to be good at two sports and that that high of a thing. Um, but also, you know, he played in David Boston's era. Um, but he holds um, the record the highest yards per catch of any tight end in program history. And that's 18.82 yards. Um, he's made the top 10 list uh, of every tight end list that I've ever seen. So, um, dude, I, I have to go with John Lumpkin here. I agree. And I think that one isn't really close. I think we might have misranked John Lumpkin a little bit, to be honest with you. Um, I know our top three or four are pretty good, but he's one that if I had to probably reorder, he would probably be a little higher. So, Maybe expect him to make another upset down the road. Yep. So give me a sec. Let me go and write that one down here. All right. So that leads us to our five against our 12 matchup. We have Jeff Hireman against Ryan Hamby. Uh, Jeff Hireman was from 2011 to 2014. So that was in Urban's earlier years. Uh, he had 52 receptions for 792 yards, 15.2 yards per catch average, and seven touchdowns. He was also, from what I recall, a you know pretty high four- or five-star recruit. And then uh, Ryan Hamby, our number 12 seed, he played in 2002 to 2005. So he was during um, the Trestle years, and he had 45 catches for 482 yards, 
a little over 10 yards per average catch with five touchdowns. So I'll at least lead the way and say this, that um, I'm pretty close to leaning pretty hard towards uh, Jeff Hireman, not just because I, you know, he was a more athletic uh, tight end, a bigger body, uh, utilized more in the offense, but I still remember to this day, we were playing Texas at home um, and Ryan Hamby, I believe, dropped a pass or did something in the end zone. And I recall us losing that game. I think it was like in 2004 or 2005. I don't know if you remember that that far back. And that's when Vince Young was their quarterback. Yeah. Remember when we had that home and away with him? Yeah. Uh, I believe that was the year that Texas won it all. But um, I, I just... It's not the big knock on Ryan Hamby, but I do recall the one time I do remember him. It was not a good thing. So for me, it's Jeff Hireman. Dude, it's Jeff Hireman all day long. Um, member of a national championship team. Uh, member earlier, I mentioned to you that um, that uh, Lumpkin was, you know, the greatest uh, as far as like average yards per catch in Ohio State history. Well, guess who's number two? Jeff Hireman. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I would say 100% Hireman, dude. It's not even a question. All right, good deal. Well, we're making pre- we're doing a lot better with this bracket than I thought we were doing. I was a little bit worried about this one, but I feel like we've done enough research. We got some good info on this. Of course, I say that, and we're probably going to screw something up. But Oh, yeah. Uh, next matchup, we have Jeremy Ruckert, which was our two seed against our number 15 seed, Cedric Saunders. Um, Jeff? Uh, I'm sorry, Jeremy Ruckert. Um, I know for a fact that he believed he was a five-star recruit. He was one of maybe the highest tight end recruits that we were that we had gotten at that time. He played 2018 to 2021, so right at the end of Urban Meyer into Ryan Day. Um, he had 54 catches for 615 yards, 11.4 yards per catch, and 12 touchdowns. And his uh, the person he's going against, Cedric Saunders. He played from 1990 to 93, uh, so that's earlier on in the 90s with 68 receptions, 853 yards, 12 and a half yards per catch average, but with only one touchdown. So that right there tells me, and that he's definitely a player that I do not recall, but I know based upon just how many receiving yards he had, you know, I think he's like second most ever in tight end history with reception or with receiving yards, but to after all of that to have one touchdown, that means that he was, I mean, utilized a lot to help move between the twenties. It sounds like, but once it got yeah. to the end zone, it sounded like ground and pound to me. Yeah. That's, that's pretty, uh, you know, consistent with what we're talking about the era here. So yeah. How much do you value all of that production with not really many scores to show for it compared to, what we think, Jer- you know, Jeremy Ruckert, which whether he's utilized enough or not, we know he's a high recruit. He's probably a better player, but it's hard to ignore that many receptions and that many receiving yards. So that you know that they definitely utilized a bunch in that offense. So where do you fall here, man? That's what I'm, I'm waiting to hear. I mean, I still lean. Point. I still lean towards Jeremy Ruckert. I know he doesn't have as high of some of the stats, but he, I mean, that's 12 touchdowns, man, out of 54 total receptions. So he's averaging one touchdown catch per less than uh, five attempts. Yeah, give me a record. So, you know, that's about one out of every five, you know, catches he's making is for a touchdown. That's pretty darn productive. So that's, uh, I think it's Jeremy Ruckert for me. Yep. Okay, that leads us to our number seven against our number 10. Uh, That is Nick Vanette against Jeff Ellis. Uh, Nick Vanette, he played from 2012 to 2015. Uh, He has 55 receptions for 585 yards with about 10.5 yards per average on reception and six touchdowns. And Jeff Ellis, he played from 1987 to 1991. He had 70 receiving yards, leads all tight ends with 863 total receptions, I mean total yards, um, with about 12 and a half yards per average on reception and five touchdowns. Uh, I do believe we have Jeff Ellis probably ranked not as good as we probably should have in this, the way it actually panned out because he is the 10 seed with Nick Vanette being the seven. But I'll be honest, I am probably leaning more towards Jeff Ellis in this matchup. It's not even a contest. Uh, you know, 
Jeff Ellis still ranks in the top 10 in most uh, of his statistics. Uh, he's like uh, number five in program history for uh, uh, reception yards and, and receptions singular. He's in the top five as well. Um, and that was on a pretty good offense where he it says uh, in one of the statistics I read that he like uh, he accounted for like 24 percent of the team's offensive yards at one point. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah you got to take that. I, I Yeah. Give me Ellis. Yeah. So at least I'm glad that we kind of righted that wrong because I know after I ranked him down to 10, I was like, man, that's not right. And someone that really knows their late 80s, early 90s football would probably be calling us up and be like, dude, you guys don't know crap. Anyone that has any issue with anything. If you call me, I'll be sure to give you Davis's number, and I yeah. want you to call him and give him hell. Yeah, and once you <laughs> once you give me a call, I'll be sure to give you Chad's address, and then you just drive right on down, and you can personally tell him how you feel about him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number three, Ricky Dudley against number 14, Rory Nickel. Number three, Ricky Dudley. He played from 1994 to 1995. So he only played a couple of years. That's right. Um, he had 46 uh, receptions for 681 yards, about f- almost 15 yards uh, per average on catch with nine touchdowns. Uh, if you're looking at Rory Nickel, uh, he played in 2004-2008. He had 38 receptions for 329 yards, about 8.7 yards per average with six touchdowns. Um, for me, this one is kind of more of a gap, not really close. I am definitely leaning Ricky Dudley on this one. Dude, Ricky Dudley, number three in receiving yards in program history, number one in touchdowns in program history in a single season, and number six in program history for receptions in a single season. Dude, it's Ricky Dudley all day. All right, good call. Making it easy. So our final matchup here, and this might be one we can have a little bit of argument on. Uh, Number six, Cade Stover. Number 11, Darnell Sanders. So Cade Stover up to this point, uh, he first joined the team in 2019. This should be his last year. He currently has 41 receptions for 482 yards with almost 12 yards per average catch and five touchdowns. And then Darnell Sanders, he played from 1999 to 2001. So that's kind of right on the cutoff there of uh, the end of um, Cooper to Trestle. He has 37 receptions for 418 yards. 11.3 11.3 yards per catch average with seven touchdowns. So really their statistics are almost identical. And you're looking at Darnell Sanders. I mean, the amount of years he played, it was probably maybe two solid years, even though he was there for four. Um, these are, these are probably identical. I think at this point it's more of a preference and you might have maybe more recency bias, or maybe it's the different system they're in, but I think you can kind of coin flip this one. What are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm leaning towards Darnell Sanders. And Um, just because it's kind of the unwritten script already. I know Darnell Sanders, um, at least, uh, you know, his stats do rank in the top 15 or 20 in Ohio State history. On top of that, man, he had a pretty, uh, at least he had a shot at the NFL, you know, played a couple years in the NFL as well. Um, dude, at this point today, I think I got to go Darnell Sanders, man. Um, I'm not going to really argue with you on that. I kind of agree as well. I mean, it's not like I'm crazy high on Cade that I think he has to go through. I think he's a good player. Um, I think currently we have maybe one or two better tight ends actually on the roster right now that aren't playing, but Cade's listen, he's been a hell of a player. He's made some changes from linebacker over to tight end. And with what he's given us and what he's given this team and a leadership, I mean, those are some intangibles that I think should give him more the edge. But I do agree, since his story's kind of not quite written yet, I would still give maybe a little bit more of the advantage to Darnell. So I will agree and move Darnell on. Cool. Now we're in round two. Is that where we're at here? Yes, we are in our lead eight. So we've kind of really gone over a lot of these stats now at this point. So this time we can kind of just give our basic opinion. We can make it a little more subjective and kind of move from there. So our first matchup is number one, Jake Stoneburner against number nine, Marcus ball. Uh, I'm going to throw our biggest wrench, our biggest wrench into our entire bracket that we have done up to this point. 
And my vote right here is to dethrone a number one and do it early. I, I, I cannot give Marcus Ball enough credit for what he did during the JT Barrett era with those stats. Jake Burner has not done enough for me to show me that he was a super, super mega dominant tight end above everyone else. I vote Marcus Ball upset number one. Ooh. Oh, man. You're my question, my question to you is: Can you stomach it? Can you allow it, or are you going to fight me on it? Because I feel pretty uh, definitive on this one. Ever since I saw that next round matchup and I looked at it, I'm not saying Jake Stoneburner isn't good. We obviously ranked him in the top there for a reason, or he could have been one, two, or three in that rotation. But my dark horse for the first time, give me an upset of the number one seed. Man, that's. That's hard because, you know, when, when I look at this, you're talking about probably, you know, if you take out Ricky Dudley, uh, I would say that has to be the most recognizable tight end on this entire list for me. Um, everybody knows who that is. Um, if you ask even just the casual Buckeye fan, um, they're going to know that name. Um, and and also the the casual Buckeye fan, when you say Marcus Ball, they're going to be like, who the hell is Marcus Ball? <laughs> It's because too many people spent time during the JT Barra era bitching and yelling at him and complaining about his inability to throw when really he was actually pretty accurate to the tight end, just not the wide receivers. He was the only guy in range. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? First of all, Marcus Ball was, uh, he caught that last pass that really helped bring Ohio State all the way back in that big, crazy comeback win against Penn State that year that Saquon Barkley went nuts against us. Yeah. Marcus Ball, man. Come on, say it with me. Marcus Ball. Say it with me. Starburner uh, averaged 17 yards a catch, dude, in his senior season, and that's third highest mark in program history ever. And we're only doing 40 years. We're talking about program history ever. I know. Are you sure, man? You tell me this is what's going to happen, it's what's going to happen. No, listen, I'm not. If you can stomach it, let it happen. I can't stomach any of this. I can't stomach anything, okay? But if you're telling me that's what we're doing, that's what we're doing. I may have to give you this one so I can get one later on. <laughs> I, listen, it's all a strategic game, dude. I'm not doing it just to be doing it either. I legitimately think that Marcus Ball, and based upon the matchup, is worthy of moving on because of what he did in that uh, under that quarterback. Okay, I'll give it to you. I, I do. I Buckeye Nation I do. just roast you all up and down. That's but fine. I'll take it. That's fine. I'll take it. But you know what? That way, at least we can say that we don't just do these rankings. And hey, one's going to win it every time. I'm not doing it just because of that. But I'm saying this is legitimately one of the few times I feel like an upset is possibly warranted. Okay, let me mark this down. No Christmas card, Jake. Stoneburner. Gotcha. Okay, Again, we're in there. <laughs> one less thank you note I got to send out there, too. <laughs> um, okay, who's next? All right. That gives us number four, John Lumpkin, against number five, Jeff Hireman. <laughs> that one's tough, man. Ooh. You go first on this. Uh, Jeff Hireman and John Lumpkin. Man. Dude, I have to be honest with you, man. Um, as much as I hate to do this, I got to go Hireman, dude. I got to go Hireman, dude. Remember the most recent national championship team? Um, man, 18 yards of catch, second in program history. I did. I Yeah, dude, I got to go Hireman here. I'm sorry. Yeah, I hate leaving John Lumpkin behind on this one, but that that's a tough matchup because Jeff Hireman probably should have been ranked higher than where we gave him. And, yeah, I will agree with you. i say Jeff Hireman. Okay. All right, that gives us our next matchup, number two, Jeremy Ruckert against number 10, Jeff Ellis. Uh, Ruckert. Man, Jeff Ellis had all those stats, man. This could potentially dude, be another upset. I got to go Ellis, dude. I go Ellis. I think, dude, I think so too, man. I yeah. don't know if we just maybe didn't rank him as good as we thought, but. That's exactly what happened. We I think our, I think both our number one and number two seats get upset in this one. It so I agree. It's I think it's making no, it more fun. I know. I think it's number 10, Jeff Ellis, over number two, Jeremy Ruckert. 
Yep, bring it on. All right, that leaves us with our last Elite Eight matchup, Ricky Dudley against Darnell Sanders. For me, for me, it's Ricky on this one, and I think it's that we Ricky. can. All right, we have made it to our Final Four in probably one of the more controversial or more difficult, maybe not difficult, I don't know, more fun. It's been a crazy one, but we are down to our Final Four in the tight end bracket, and we have what's left is our nine seed, our fifth seed, our tenth seed, and our third seed. <laughs> so this is really what a basketball bracket actually looks like in real yeah, life. I was going to say, this is March Madness in seriousness. Yeah, this is yeah. what it actually looks like. Uh, so that leaves us with number nine, Marcus Ball, against number five, Jeff Hireman. Now the debate begins. I'm going to ask you, you go first. Here, dude. you so got to go you're, Hireman. You're Hireman. Yeah. Oh, what, about, yeah. what about Lowerman? I'm Middleman. I'm Everyman. See, but on this are, one, I'm hired. But, but those are bad <laughs> jokes, and I appreciate it. You know, <laughs> it's not funny to probably ninety-nine percent of people, but I found it funny. All right, um, I think it is time that I probably come back to reason a little. Um, I am high on Jeff Hireman, pun intended. I see what you did there, dude. You now, dude, you gave Mark. You will be getting a Christmas card from Paul. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you did try to take him to the. Did I get enough from Ball to get a Christmas card? On yeah, him? I think okay. so. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Jeff Hireman moves to our finals. That leaves us with number ten, Jeff Ellis. Number three, Ricky Dudley. Dude, it's Ricky. It's Ricky. You. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It is. It's. Yeah. All right, number three, Ricky Dudley. Moving on. And I hate that we're not discussing these matchups further like we should, but we've really said everything we probably could about most of these guys. So if it seems like we're making a quicker decision, it's because Chad's doing it and I'm getting tired, so I just agree. But but honestly, I mean, some of these matchups, just the way they are. I mean, I guess... we try to give you the stats and the accolades in the first round. In hindsight, if I had to re-rank these, I definitely probably would put Ricky Dudley and Jeff Hireman as one and two. Yeah. Um... Again, doesn't mean that's correct. I mean, that's probably more the way that we see it. Um, it's not just because some of the upset matchups and everything. I mean, realistically, I think these were the guys that were going to be here at the end of the day anyways. Mm-hmm. Luckily, somehow we at least split these two up and didn't put them on the same side of the bracket or else we probably would have really screwed it up and had like a guaranteed winner. But I think this one's tough, man. You're talking Jeff Harmon or Ricky Dudley. Who do you pick? I have a lot of respect for Hireman. I have a lot of respect for Ricky Dudley for being a multi-sport athlete, like I talked about earlier. Um, you know that there's not too many of those around. Um, but dude, when I look at it, when to me, Ricky Dudley is kind of like the Maurice Claret of tight ends, and I don't mean that like he's a criminal. I mean that like he he. I mean he came to Ohio State to play basketball. And mm-hmm. then just decided, man, I'll give football another shot and ends up putting up some of the best stats in Ohio State football history as a tight end. Um, and if, dude, if I look at this list and I just look at the, the, that body was back of work, in the past too. Yeah. I mean, you got to think Jeff Hireman played in a much more tight end friendly offensive system. Exactly. When I look at that and I just look at, okay, who's the better tight end? Dude, it's got to be Ricky, dude. I feel like athletic wise, skill wise, and uh, statistically, I feel like he wins it in all categories. Dude, I got to go Ricky. And I'm going to 100% agree with you. Uh, Ricky Dudley should probably have been our number one seed and should have mostly cakewalked his way to victory. Instead, he took kind of a different route, kind of like his actual Buckeye career. <laughs> no, no this was not intentionally written this way. We're not that clever. But uh, we do have Ricky Dudley winning the tight end bracket. So that now leaves us with our quarterback winning bracket with Justin Fields. Our running back one was Eddie George. Our wide receiver one was Chris Carter. And now we have Ricky Dudley. Man, talk about a great start to building an offense right there. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, um, I feel I don't feel as bad about that one. Remember last week uh, we did a wide receiver one. I said I felt dirty. Felt unclean, mm-hmm. like I need to shower. Like I, I feel good about this one. I feel good. No, about and Ricky. we even had crazy upsets in this one. But again, I think it's because our ranking, early rankings, were not as accurate as they needed to be. But either way, um, I'm definitely pleased with who we had coming out on top on that one. 
And again, uh, dude, I just I love doing these brackets. I'm not sure what position group we have coming up next, but you're going to have to tune in next time to the next episode to find that out. So, Mr. Chad, do you have anything else you would like to add before we get out of here? Nope. Just thanks, everybody, for listening. We're having a good time doing these polls. And also, um, if you think of any, uh, you know, categories or whatever or topics that you want us to do, um, let us know, because, I mean, these can go on for days. We could do, you know, best player. We could do a million different categories. And if there's something in particular you want to hear, let us know, and we'll make sure we get it on here. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, again, we appreciate everyone listening. Um, if you had not had a chance to yet, check on all, uh, check out our Facebook page. It's kind of where we post things, uh, as well as our Twitter page. But we hope to have a web page up and coming by the beginning of next season that is still in the works. We're working on that. Um, and again, you can find all of our episodes on all major streaming services, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and more. Um, until next time, guys, go Bucks. Oh, wait.